Hello, good morning. Welcome to Joy News Desk. We're coming to you live from our studios in Kokom Lemire on DTT because we're free to wear on DSTV channel 4 to 1 and Go TV channel 1 to 5. Coming up this morning, Wayek to review scripts of over 22,000 candidates amid allegations of mass cheating in the 2023 basic education certificate examinations as entire results of 42 candidates are cancelled. Also, family of missing senior lands commissions officer Rodaland who offers 100,000 cities goods bounty for information on the whereabouts of their relative. Last condition of access routes around the stalled Obichebilamte interchange construction has grown worse with motorists and businesses around the facility bearing the brunt. We have updates from that site. Details plus business coming up shortly. The West African Examination Council is investigating the scripts of more than 22,000 candidates in what the council describes as mass cheating in the 2023 Basic Education Certificate Examination. Over 600,000 candidates from over 18,000 uh, participating schools entered the examination this year in a statement uh, in a statement, the council said it detected several cases of irregularity during the examination and marking of scripts. Joining us on Zoom is John Capi, Director of Public Affairs, uh, for more. First, uh, Mr. Capi, what is the fate of these uh, over 22,000 uh, pupils? Thank you, and good morning to your listeners. Um, in the course of marking, our examiners detected that there was a collusion among some of the candidates and some copying as well. And so once these reports reach us, we have set up our committee and the committee is reviewing the reports of the uh, examiners and if appropriate, will invite the candidates to come and defend themselves, after which we may cancel or release their results. Mm. So where are you with the investigations? Well, we started a preliminary investigation, which is what our staff would do by way of going through the reports of the examiners to ensure that indeed the reports they are sending to us um, are infractions as far as our rules are concerned. And then based on that, the candidates will be invited to come and, um, you know, defend themselves or answer questions regarding whatever has been observed. So um, I want to find out from you, how didn't you detect this uh, on the exams day? Because I know you deployed invigilators, WIAC uh, supervisors and what have you in the various schools. How didn't you detect these malpractices? Well, with BEC, it covers a very vast area across the country. And so our monitors may be in one place for one day, but they'll have to move on to another place because we can't be at every center at the same time. And so it is possible that some of these may have escaped um, our monitors who were in the field, but then the uh, examiners were able to detect that, and that is what they reported to us, and that is what we are acting on. 
let's have a breakdown of this mass, um, um, if you like, examination more practice, as you put it. What and what does it entail? Or all of them, did all of them commit the same offence? What exactly are you talking about? So the um, offences vary. I mean, for whatever the examiners have detected, some of them, most of it is collusion. Um, they may have copied from the same source according to the reports that we've received. Some inadvertently left the piece of paper they copied from in their answer booklets. So these are the things that we are looking at. It's uh, quite widespread, and that's the reason we termed it mass cheating. And so we are going to look through all of this and ascertain the veracity or otherwise, and then we'll take appropriate action. So uh, we're also learning about the cancellation of 312 school candidates and three private candidates who you say brought in foreign materials. What's the fate of those uh, uh, students? So these uh, 312 candidates, I mean, that is uh, school candidates and three private candidates, these were infractions that were detected in the course of writing the examination. And so we had the opportunity of, uh, you know, uh, scrutinizing the strips. In the course of the marking process, we were able to uh, get um, um, confirmation because the candidates also wrote their own statements confirming that indeed what was found on them was what they actually had, what they had copied from. And so uh, that's the reason theirs were cancelled uh, outright. So uh, they have a, the opportunity to write again uh, next year, right? Yes, they have the opportunity to write again next year. And uh, So how about the 180 uh, school candidates uh, who also you said you've, you are withholding their results? What offense did they commit? So all of these are um, based on collusion or suspicion of copying from a particular source. Um, what, what happens is that for most of these scripts, we detected that the candidates produce the same answers, and when they were, where there were errors, the errors run through all the scripts. Okay, so we've got to invite them over to come and defend themselves, how it happened, whether they were all taught the wrong thing or whether somebody gave them that information to, to produce. Um, finally, I want you to clarify uh, this for me. The, the entire results of 110 school candidates and two private candidates have also been withheld. Now, I want to find out, uh, this is not the first time we are recording uh, examination more practices. Over the period, YX says uh, it has improved its system to ensure some of these things are curtailed. But we keep finding ourselves back here. I mean, what's the uh, measures that you're going to put in finally to ensure that these things do not recur? Right. So for, for now, we have um, adapted the multiple choice randomization that we have uh, um, applied for both uh, BEC and WAS. Uh, going forward, we probably are looking at another way of randomizing the um, uh, essay test so as to ensure that we don't have the same questions across the country or the same questions appearing the same way. These are things that we are still um, 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 discussing. We haven't decided 
on exactly what we are going to do here. There are a few more meetings that will be held. A decision will be taken, and then I'm sure that we'll bring it out for everyone to get to know where we are going. How do you react to people who say YX should be partly blamed for this whole thing? Because in some instances, your own invigilators have been caught in the act, helping schools and candidates to actually engage in these malpractices. We've got to get something clear. YEC officials do not invigilate examinations. We work in collaboration with the Ghana Education Service. On our part, we um, compile the questions, we print, and then we go out there and keep custody of the questions. The invigilators and supervisors are actually active teachers in the field. And so when you find that there are teachers in there who are assisting the candidates, they are not bona fide staff of the council, they are teachers in the field. Now for these people, we have uh, reported them to the Director General Gun Education Service. That is the uh, appointing authority and then they will take action. But on our part, we have their names that will ensure that they are not used for any of our exams going forward. I'm grateful for your time. John Capi is Director of Public Affairs at WIAC. Uh, we'll bring in Dr. Peter Anti. Uh, Doc, I'm grateful for your time. First, what's your general impression of the performance this year? Thank you very much. Um, I, I, I think that uh, because now we are using um, BEC for placement, it's, 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 it doesn't normally... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, matter to some of us um, the nature of the performance so far as the students are able to transition to the senior high school uh, we think that that is that that should be the, the focus now because um, BEC is no more a terminal point for any candidate and that they just use the BEC to transition to uh, a senior high school and therefore uh, we just want to see more people qualify to continue uh, their education and not to, not to um, uh, curtail it after uh, their uh, BEC. So generally, I think it's, 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 it's okay. Uh, hopefully, we, we would see more students assessing secondary education as, as we, we go forward. Mm. Uh, you, you are satisfied with the performance so far? Yeah, so, so far as so far as we are getting most of our kids into our senior high school, I think that uh, that that should be the focus. And uh, basically, because we 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 uh, we don't have to, uh, we cannot even even compare the results to uh, the previous year. Um, we just want to see the number of people who are qualified to enter the senior high school. So far as they do not obtain a like, grade nine in English and math, as the 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 system is 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 um, designed to be, and so the focus should be the reduction in the number of students who are not able to assess secondary education, not because of the system, but because they couldn't make a pass mark in English and math. And for me, I think this year the 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 there seems to be a good results in 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 that respect. Uh, Mr. Kapi, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're still on. Uh, one last question before I let you go. The students whose uh, results have been cancelled or papers were cancelled, uh, how do they go about it? Are there processes they have to go through to be able to write again? 
Yeah, come next year, they can register as private candidates. There is that opportunity for them to, to do so. And so next year, yes, they can write as private candidates. All right. I'm grateful for your time. Uh, um, Dr. Anti, how do you feel that scripts of more than 22,000 candidates are being investigated in what the council describes as mass cheating? Uh, it's interesting, but um, I, I'm, I'm also happy that uh, my, my big brother is still online. I think that... Um, Maybe going forward, when White is releasing the summary of results for a, a particular year, they should give us an update of what has happened to the the previous year's information that they they, they gave us. I, I think that would give us an idea of uh, what, what what is really going on. Because I know that some of these students whose results have been upheld or they are, they are holding on to, they, uh, depending on the investigation, the outcome of the investigation, some of them would, would still go through. Some of them might be able to uh, uh, purge themselves out of whatever situation that they find themselves. So some of them would definitely have their results cancelled. So what was the situation last year? How many results after investigation were cancelled? How many were, 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 were given the, 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 the go-ahead to, to assess their results? I think that that would give us an idea of the, 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 the improvements in, in the system. For those who have had challenges, in, who have had their results withheld in terms of uh, examination more practices, I, I, I believe that, um, that that is the way to go. Um, we, we keep talking about examination more practices, and this year we have had series of interaction with WIAC, with my big brother, on various platforms, and they have agreed that the in uh, the examination of that happens during the examination is what is now coming up falsely because they have tried to uh, deal with the issue of pre-examination of practice, that is the leakage of questions. And of course, in Ghana, we have not had serious issues with post-examination of practice, that is examiners tempering with uh, scripts. So the, the focus now is more on during the exams uh, uh, more practice. And and the various uh, mechanisms that have been put in place to deal with that particular situation is, is, is what he's talking about, like the serialization and the randomization that he's talking about, which is one of the ways to uh, prevent in-house uh, exams more practice. But it seems that we, we need to tighten our belts in terms of that uh, area. And I was a little bit surprised that he said that um, WIAC uh, employs GES as staff. But so far as you engage somebody, the person becomes one of your own. And if the person is found culpable with anything, it's, it's, it's the, the contract that you have with the person that is being breached. So we can still say that their contracted staff uh, have, have been found to be engaged in some of these in-house uh, examination more practice. And the more we, we, we crack down on them, the, the, the higher we'll be able to raise the bar when it comes to dealing with these uh, challenges. But so far as, and I've, I, I, I've said in other, on other platforms, so far as the desire to get to a good school is still there, people will engage in more practices. It is up to us to make it costly for those who do that. And I think one of the ways we can do that is to give updates as to what has happened with the investigations that we, ha we, we, we said we were conducting previously and what 
the way forward has been. And then we can now uh, publicize what is happening this year so that next year we'll give the people an update. Although maybe we might have done it during the year. But when you are releasing this results and you have people's results being withheld for, la for last year, and, and we have had instances where people's results have been held and they have been back and forth and so on and so forth with WAEG. So they should give us an update what happened to those results that were, uh, were withheld, those that were released without problems, those that were cancelled outright, and all those things. And then we can go ahead and talk about what is happening now. Mr. Kapi, uh, and um, thankfully we still have him here. Uh, your response to uh, the issues that Dr. Peter Auntie is raising. Number one, the invigilators, the people that you contract to invest, uh, invigilate, who are found culpable in some of these malpractices. And two, the update of the previous ones we've had to deal with. Right. So, first of all, with the uh, invigilators and supervisors, you know, um, WAIC has a contract with the Ghana Education Service. Now, for the teachers are told that invigilation and supervision is part of their job. And so whatever we give to them is something like um, a little pittance for um, um, refreshment, you know. And so we really do not pay them uh, a fee for invigilating and supervising the examination for us. And so, well, you could say, fine, we are in contract with them and therefore, but, but by and large, then in that case, we could also say that the Ghana Education Service should also be held responsible because those are their employees, all right. Then, but that's just an aside. I think that we need to, going forward, we need to be able to uh, bring some sanity, especially on the part of the teachers. We have reported a number of them. Some were sanctioned, some were reduced in rank, you know, um, I don't have the statistics in front of me right now. But every year for teachers who are found culpable, we report them to the Ghana Education Service for action to be taken because we as a council cannot because they are not our direct employees. Um, with the cases that happen, especially with the candidates, um, yes, we have records of that for those that we've released and those that we've had to cancel uh, for various infractions. I think that going forward, I take the advice from my brother and I will be able to put that out there for people to know that it's not just for purposes of, uh, you know, assuming that we are taking responsibility for everything, but we ensure that people get to know what is happening. Now, if you look at the statement that we've released, it, is clear, it clearly states the ones that we have cancelled outright because then those ones are the um, infractions we detected in the course of the examination. We've had time to investigate. The ones we are holding back are the ones that the examiner detected in the course of marking. Now, at the close between the close of marking and the time of processing and releasing results, it is not possible for us to be able to go into all of that and be able to come out with um, the veracity of the uh, allegations or otherwise. And so, yes, going forward, we'll see what we can do to make sure that things are fluid and people get to understand better what we are doing. I'm grateful, gentlemen, for joining us. John Pate is Director of Public Relations at WAEC, and Dr. Steven uh, Peter Antia, beg your pardon, is the Executive Director of the Institute of um, 
education studies. Now, let's get on to other stories. Lawyers for Asin North MP James Dachikwesen have raised questions, concerns about the perceived unfairness and arbitrary conduct of the High Court judge overseeing his criminal trial. The MP Joe Kwesen is currently facing charges of alleged perjury and forgery, despite the MP's absence due to a critical health emergency that necessitated his travel to Canada. His lawyers argued the High Court judge has been unjust in ordering the continuation of the trial. They contend that the court's insistence on proceedings with the case despite the MP's unavailability is in disregard of the challenges posed by his health condition. But the court says that St. North legislator was offered all avenues to participate in the court proceedings virtually. Richard Kwejo of our legal affairs desk, was in court and has more. In a long winding rope today in court, uh, Jim Jachikwesin, the Asinod Member of Parliament, was expected to be in court, but his lawyers indicated that he was undergoing some medical examination and has been flown out of the country to Canada, and so that is where he is receiving some treatment. But the court said that no reasonable excuse has been proffered. In fact, they also provided a link for Mr. Kwesin to join virtually, but Mr. Kwesin refused to join uh, today's proceedings. Lawyer for James Jachi Kwesin, Chachichikata, indicated that the judge was exhibiting symptoms of arbitrariness. The judge has been unfair, but the judge indicated that they have given all avenues for the proceedings to go on and and that's ordered Mr. Chachichikata to go ahead to cross-examine the prosecution witness. Today is a very sad day for us as Ghanaians and of course the legal system of Ghana. You have a judge insisting despite clear evidence of medical report showing that the person is undergoing a test, medical test, and then the judge insists that despite that, I'm, I would disregard that and insist that you go ahead with the case without him. Even though we went ahead because we, would, we didn't want to disrespect the court, but the unfairness to insist on a, 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 a such an important case, we are doing cross-examination. And you said that you are with the process today, go ahead. And that is the, the, the side of it, especially when there is evidence of medical condition. We don't necessarily say that a person maybe he's sick on a wheelchair before you say he's sick. All of us walking here, do we know what is with us here? But what we want to place on record is that the cause had been unfair today. We have not been dealt with and given the right to exercise our uh, 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 legal rights as it's supposed to be. Because today you even saw that, oh, arrangement has been made for the uh, 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 accused person to be in court. How can you say? The question is, by the legal practice, how can you serve a process on somebody today in the courtroom and say, insist that you must go on? Deputy Attorney General Alfred Chayabwa, who led the state prosecutors, indicated that they are in for whatever the court will say. In fact, they say that it is some kind of delay tactics that lawyers for Mr. Jim Jachi Kwesin are playing. They indicated that the prosecution witness has been in the dock for more than a year. They knew about the hearing, and that's the reason why they're even in court today. You also encourage said 
that the last time that we came and we met the judge in chambers, they said he was undergoing a medical test. It's different from saying that he was undergoing a medical, something, something relating to his health. Medical test. We agreed. We took an adjournment. We, we've been in court today. And what's the, what's the story? That he's now, I'll not say he's seriously, but he's sick. But you are not told. There's no evidence to that effect. The court then said, we have to go on with the matter. Because our witness had been in the box since July 2022. One year, five months, or four months, one witness in the witness box for one year, four months. And we think that we should still countenance such a practice. No. If they won't take it up on the pillars to say, maybe they think that we are ready for them. As I say, we come to court to speak and talk law and nothing else. If they take any legal point, we'll be ready to confront them head on. The case has been adjourned to the 15th of November. Reporting from the court complex, my name is Richard Kwejenyako for Joy News. Senior Lands Administrative Officer Mother of Two, Rodalena Muadakon, has gone missing for more than two years. Her husband, Dr. Wilberforce Agri of the Petroleum Department of KNUST, is on trial at the Kumase High Court, accused of kidnapping his wife. Now the family of the 32-year-old has announced a 100,000 Ghana cities reward for information leading to the location of their relative. A humanitarian of our security desk visited the family house where devastated relatives remain hopeful to see their missing daughter alive. Dear Lord, my father, my daughter Rhoda got missing in 2021, August. A tearful and distraught mother seeks answers to finding her missing daughter, described as a breadwinner of the family. Cecilia Obiniwa Apia, the mother of missing Rodalyn Amwadako, is a former headmistress of the Krobo Girls Senior High School, currently on retirement. Traumatized by the disappearance of her daughter, she looks up to a divine intervention to suit her anguish. It has been two years of sorrow, two years of expectation, expecting that I'll get up one day, then I'll hear that Rhoda has come. I've waited and waited and waited, and it's two years plus now, and to no avail. It has not been easy at all as a mother, the angels of God. I'm praying that they bring her from wherever Rhoda has been kept to me so that it will be a Christmas bonus for me. Police prosecutors told the Asoka District Court in 2022 their preliminary investigations linked Dr. Wilberforce Agri of the Petroleum Department of KNUST to an altered kidnapping note. Police also accused him of using his wife's phone to distribute test messages from a spot near his KNUSC campus home. But he was discharged by the court in February 2022 and subsequently re-arrested to... Let's now take you live to the British Council where there is a lecture delivered by... His Excellency Dr. Mohammed Ibn Chambas on empowering citizens and reaching nation building, fostering active citizenship for sustainable development in Ghana. It's organized by Star Ghana Foundation. I recognize my boss, 
Professor Akila Kwasoya, and then my other bosses, Star Ghana subscribers and GC members, invited guests, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, all other protocols respectfully observed. We are deeply honored by your response this morning. We are very mindful that today is a Friday, Friday morning in November, uh, the world goes crazy. And today there are a lot of things happening in Accra which, you, which could have taken up your attention, but you are here, and we are thankful to you. There's a major event to commemorate the fifth anniversary of the establishment of Star Ghana Foundation, October 2018. And we are celebrating this milestone because the past five years have brought us some success, yes, but considerable lessons and a deep sense of the fact that we need to get things done or we need to re-strategize because we are in an urgent situation. In our quest to be a Ghanaian organization that promotes active citizens for change, we also want to leverage partnerships and resources to that end. So under the guidance of the public-spirited persons who are our subscribers and our governing council members, both in their individual and collective capacities, we've tried to fulfill that vision of a wealthful, informed, and active Ghanaian citizenry that is able to contribute to transformational change advancing democracy, accountability, and social inclusion. And we want to be able to do this in an equitable and inclusive manner so that we are able to involve Ghanaians from all walks of life. We've tried to do this by our three C's and L approach, namely about convening inclusive dialogue and collaboration, catalyzing active citizenship and collective action hoping to coordinate and support strategic partnerships, but above all, facilitating learning on an ongoing basis. Ghana is at a point where the modes of political participation and pursuit of social inclusivity are rapidly evolving. I mean, even in the last year, we've seen how citizens are trying to use the spaces provided by the Constitution in creative ways and pushing the frontiers in our quest for accountability. People are looking at where cracks are to wedge them open, wide open, in an effort to get responses and deepen democracy. And recent events, such as the pandemics, the natural and man-made disasters, demands for accountability, and um, other efforts um, have demonstrated that rights and inclusivity matter to Ghanaians. I mean, Ghanaians are interested, and they have an urgent need to see this actualized. So that even as we have transited from the program, the Strengthening Transparency, Accountability, and Responsiveness program in 2018, we have tried to create an organization that is driven by a Ghanaian agenda. If we had our own way, we wouldn't be driven by where the available resources are or what the ideological and idiosyncratic preferences of would-be benefactors are located. We would like to be free of the various political and economic challenges and shifts in development and fashions. And we also want to move away from politically convenient themes and niches. So these ambitions are terrifying, especially given the conditions under which NGOs and CSOs work now in the face of dwindling donor resources. 
but we are determined that we will uh, push this through with your assistance. We are here today because of the hard work of our executive director, Elijah Tanko, most of you know him. Unfortunately, for family reasons, he's not able to be with us today. But the hard work of Elijah Tanko, his management team, I see Eunice, I see Frank, a whole host of you, we are here because you do what you do so well. But we are also here because of the goodwill and the support and the collaboration that we've enjoyed from people like you, and we don't take it lightly at all. We've enjoyed the encouragement of NGOs, CSOs, of all kinds, missions and sizes all over the country and internationally. Lamnatsu and Awal, I greet you. Eh? Greet you in all that. We've enjoyed the collaboration of key government ministries, departments, and agencies. Um, I think uh, when our distinguished moderator was talking, he talked about the NCC. He mentioned that they'll be here in a bit. We've had a long-standing relationship with Parliament, which we, are, we much appreciate. The RCCs, particularly in the northern part of Ghana, and the independent governance institutions. And we acknowledge what our donor partners have been able to do, the confidence they've reposed in us, including the Foreign and Commonwealth Development Office of the United Kingdom, the International Organization of Migration, Botna Foundation, Co-Impact, and others. We've benefited from the valuable assistance of experienced development practitioners in the form of Friends of Star Ghana Foundation. Mr. Dake, I greet you somewhere in this room. Mali, okay, great, there he is. And in turn, we've tried to build the capacities of upcoming development specialists through our intentions and collaborations. As part of our drive to mobilize local resources, we are actively exploring and promoting volunteerism from various dimensions, as well as local uh, philanthropy, uh, seeing where we can get volunteers to hold each other's hands help uh, smaller organizations and so on to come up and lend a hand where it is required. So currently, uh, our work can be categorized under four broad thematic priorities. The rise to services, civil society strengthening, peace and security, and inclusive and accountable governance. You haven't fallen down, have you? You haven't fallen down, okay. To mark our fifth anniversary and enrich our commitment to the vision, we've engaged in a series of activities in Accra, Tamale, and other parts of the country. But my role today is to welcome you to what is perhaps the highlight event of the celebrations and one of the flagship activities of the foundation, the annual Active Citizenship Lecture. The annual Citizenship Lecture comes under the knowledge brokering efforts in our active citizenship strategy. Through this aspect, we try to make ourselves and our partners more effective by improving access to critical information, but also gain new perspectives and forge new strategies. The lectures are complemented by documentation, collation and dissemination of information through both physical and online channels as well as periodic webinars. Normally, the main lecture is given by a foremost thinker on active citizenship who is familiar with the Ghanaian space. And it is complemented by submissions by exciting players and activists to provide thought-provoking dimensions on the subject or the theme. 
distinguished invited guests. This year, our theme is Empowering Citizens, Enriching Nation Gilding, Fostering Active Citizenship for Sustainable Development in Ghana. Many ways so. Empowering Citizens, Enriching Nation Building, Fostering Active Citizenship for Sustainable Development in Ghana. And today, we are highly privileged to have as our distinguished lead speaker, His Excellency, Dr. Mohammed Ibn Chambas. Dr. Chambas, I'm sure, uh, Samson, say you'll be introducing him properly. Yes, but he is a very distinguished son of Ghana. He has many secret admirers, including myself. He has made remarkable footprints in his wide-ranging working life as a lawyer, a diplomat, politician, academic, and an international civil servant. And he'll be properly introduced at the right time. I'm also delighted to welcome our very exciting discussants who in their own ways are making their mark in shaping our thinking on how to do things differently, changing our ethos and transforming our standards. I have enormous pleasure in recognizing the presence of Shamima Muslim, a diversity and inclusion advocate. As you know her, she's an astute journalist, a fearsome interviewer, who now, among several other pursuits, is the Convener Alliance for Women in Media Africa. Shamima, you are welcome. I also acknowledge with great pleasure Mr. Oliver Bakavomawo. Uh, Oliver is a lawyer and the Convener of the Democracy Hub. Today, he didn't come in his red beret, so I think many people are not recognizing him. Oliver, you are welcome. Yes. And then finally, I'm pleased to welcome here Mr. Victor Parkwesi Mensa. Mr. Parkwesi Mensa, where are you? He's joining online, yes. He's a development practitioner and the founder Center for Youth Development Services in Zambia. So, I mean, you can imagine the, 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 the banquet we're going to have in, I mean, some, this morning. Uh, yes. Oh, great. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. On a more somber note, um, Samson, after my speech, I would like to crave your indulgence to observe a minute's silence in the memory of the Foundation's Secretary, Mr. Akuto Ampao. Widely and for almost half a century, known as Sheshe, He's been a passionate activist. What he thinks is right, and any group of people he considers marginalized, stimulating thinker, um, intriguing uh, strategist, and many, many more things. May his soul rest in peace. In conclusion, active citizens are crucial to the attainment of the Ghana that is envisaged by our national motto, freedom and justice. And to paraphrase my good friend Charles Abugri, Charles Abugri, I'm paraphrasing you, active citizenship is costly. However, the opportunity cost is even more expensive where our society's values disintegrate and community and collective action becomes monetized. Ghana can achieve the democratic, inclusive, sustainable society 
in which citizens, irrespective of their different characteristics, actively take responsibility for the direction in which they want their country to go with improved social and economic outlooks, driven by the fit-for-purpose public administration and governance architecture that is required for this. And I want to assure you that Star Ghana Foundation is firmly committed to this quest. Once again, we are grateful to you all for honoring this invitation. I invite you to sit back, engage, and also contribute as you can in this endeavor. Thank you very much. A round of applause once again for Dr. Esther Shoaguazi. And before we proceed any further, as she has instructed, I will invite you that together we observe a minute, a minute of silence for lawyer Akoto Ampar. gentle soul rest in perfect peace. Thank you all very much. If you have encountered Akutua Power before, you would know that when we are counting the real active citizens, he will be on the top of the list. I have worked with him and as described in terms of strategy, it doesn't matter that you would have seen him as being affiliated or accommodating of a particular political that did not matter to him so there were many times when things were going wrong and we needed to step up and speak up Akutuan Pao will not only show up but will go the extra mile to provide what is necessary to do so we had to as the citizen coalition we had to undertake a demonstration to force the Auditor General to do his work, to issue surcharges and disallowances. Occupy Ghana had picked five audit reports, five years, and discovered that money's stolen, money's misused amounted to more than twice what we are knocking on the doors somewhere in Washington asking the IMF to do for us. And we had not recovered these monies. Akutuampa was central in making sure that our voices were heard. And he did much more than that. I can testify to that. Now, Like our host said, sit back, relax, and get ready to be provoked, to reflect more deeply, to play your role. 
When you need zucchini or deli ham, Instacart shoppers lend a hand. Add a little life to your cart. And if you want your bananas green, honey, it ain't no thing. Add a little life to your cart. Instacart helps get your groceries. Your first three deliveries are free. Download Instacart. Add life to cart. Terms apply. As an active citizen, our keynote speaker is one that a good number of us here, I'm 48, a good number of us here grew up encountering on television that's not close distance. And he inspired us in such a profound way. Representing his people as a member of parliament in a stellar way. He's a Ghanaian politician. I don't know if today he wants to be referred as such. And I don't know if I feel like referring to him as such. Well, if he's a politician, He's one of the best we should have. He should be the example of politicians that we want to have. He's an academic. He's currently the African Union High Representative for Silencing the Guns. He served as Special Representative of the United Nations Secretary General for West Africa and head of the UN Office for West Africa, UNOWAS. He was the Joint Special Representative of the African Union, United Nations Hybrid Operation in Darfur, UNAMID, and Joint Chief Mediator in charge of the Darfur peace negotiations between 2013 and 2014. As I mentioned, negotiations, which sounds mediation, Professor Akila Pasoye's name came up. I'll tell you a story that some of you don't know, the Akosombo we enjoy today. He was the Secretary General of the African Caribbean and Pacific Group. He was also the leader of that group, AFACP. He served as president of the 15-member African states, African Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, from 2007 to 2010. He also served as the executive secretary of ECOWAS in February 20, 2002, when ECOWAS was a secretariat. He was the Secretary General of the African Caribbean and Pacific Group. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me with a standing ovation to welcome an illustrious son, Dr. Mohammed Ibn Chambas, to give us the keynote address. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Thank you. 
I will stand on the protocols already established, but you'll understand very well that uh, I must acknowledge the presence of our elder statesman, my vice chancellor, and my mentor, Professor Akilapa Sawyer. We've just uh, observed a minute's silence in honor of my very good friend, Tony Akutu Ampa Sheshe, who were contemporaries and we were students who drank at the feet of Professor Akila Pasoya. Um, Professor Akila Pasoya and his other colleagues at the time, uh, very vibrant and clear-minded academics, didn't see their role as only coming to lecture rooms to propound theories and you know, prepare our students, but um, they made sure to underscore that our purpose in the university was not just to imbibe knowledge, but to put that knowledge to use in transforming our society in Ghana, in Africa, and in the world to create a better world particularly for those less privileged than those of us who had had the opportunity of a university education. So on an occasion like this, it's important to put things in this context. And we are happy to see that even at his young, ripe age, he remains an active citizen. Um, and I'm happy the NUCS president is here with his colleagues, students, uh, and I hope that um, on our campuses, uh, awareness awakening and consciousness awakening is happening. For you to be mindful of the privileged positions that you are uh, in, uh, if you look at the numbers, of how many Ghanaians even today still have tertiary education. So you're a very privileged group, and um, you should be yearning to change. It cannot be that even 2023, we have the levels of tertiary education that we're enjoying. When we want to compare ourselves to Malaysia, to Korea, to Singapore, go and check what is the level of tertiary education that these countries enjoy. It's 40% upwards, 50%. 60%. So at our low levels of still less than 20%, something is not right there. So distinguished ladies and gentlemen, fellow citizens, it is a profound privilege to address you today as we gather to discuss a subject of utmost significance, empowering citizens and reaching nation building fostering active citizenship for sustainable development in Ghana. A mouthful, as uh, Esther has reminded us. But before I proceed, I would like to extend my heartfelt appreciation to the dedicated individuals and organizations who have played an integral role in organizing this event, particularly Star Ghana Foundation, for their unwavering commitment 
and visible efforts in promoting active citizenship as a critical lever for our nation's development. Actually, I've always admired Star Ghana from, you know, on the side, but coming here today and knowing who the management is, who the board members are, I'm not surprised that it is making the waves that uh, it has been making on our country, in our country. So through today's encounter, I hope we can contribute to inspire and sustain a collective passion for active citizenship, which is undeniably indispensable for the sustainable development of our dear country, Ghana. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, this fifth anniversary celebration it's an opportunity also to reflect on our shared experiences as Ghanaians engaged in active citizenship. Ghana, a land endowed with abundant resources and a rich cultural tapestry, has achieved remarkable milestones over the years. However, we must acknowledge that we still confront an array of challenges, including widespread poverty, inequality, governance deficit, natural resources mismanagement, climate change, and an unequal international system, which is the context in which we operate. It is amidst these challenges that we must grasp the transformative potential of active citizenship. Allow me to undertake a little historical tour to rekindle our minds on how active citizenship led to the birth of our nation, Ghana. Recently, during the unveiling at Saba Hall, University of Ghana, Legon, of the statute of John Mensah Saba, I shared with the audience the remarkable story of this distinguished personality of the Gold Coast, the first in our country to be called to the English bar. So, you know, just imagining the roping and the gowns and, you know, uh, that, but he was the first. I drew attention in particular to the role of John Mensah Saba and seven other students, his peers, famously called the Faithful Eight in the founding of Fanspim School, the first secondary school of our country. And that was an example of what determined individuals can do in transforming society. The school had been started by missionaries. Somewhere along the line, it faced challenges. And these eight individuals, young adults, they must have been at the time, took it upon themselves to keep the school going, to teach themselves and to progress educationally until the Methodist Church once again, when they saw this effort, came back to support the school. And today, uh, the school is, on, is going and can take the pride of being the first secondary school in Ghana. Later, on our path to independence, you will find individuals leading and playing active roles to ignite the quest for self-determination and nationhood. I will simply mention here, Ni Kwabnaboni, who led the boycott of European traded goods in 1948 under the banner 
of the Association of West African Merchants, AWAM. These merchants, those days, and, and you know, colonial days, they were sectors of the economy that as natives of the land, we could not participate in, including in trading, wholesale trading. So Gold Coasters were left to marginal areas with, which had small margins of profit, and they could not engage in lucrative wholesale trading, etc. And to change that, it took individuals who said, no, we cannot allow this to continue. This is the story of Comrade Boni and the Association of West African Markets, who led the boycott right here in Accra. Of course, we have the courage of uh, Sergeant Ajete, Corporal Atipo, and Private Neodate Lamte, who led the march of ex-servicemen to protest discrimination against ex-servicemen who had paid the ultimate, they had gone and died in a fight outside Africa. And then when they came back, they faced discrimination. They were not paid the meager pensions that were due them. And they did not sit down and let things go. They stood up to fight for their rights and paid the ultimate price. These were stellar examples of active citizens. Now, formal political movements, such as the UGCC, were subsequently founded by the elite in society seeking to address the discriminatory and exploitative nature of colonial rule. Their efforts evolved into a more mass-based approach represented by the Convention People's Party, which mobilized many more active citizens to fight for independence. It is essential to recognize that the British did not one fine day, decide to voluntarily grant Ghana independence. Instead, it was the initiative of the sons and daughters of the then Gold Coast who set the wheels in motion for our independence. For as Frederick Douglass once said, power concedes nothing without a fight. It took active citizens, many of them often derided as veranda boys to fight for the independence of the country. These masses who were mobilized to go around the country and campaign for independence, of course at that time there were no hotels, motels. They were willing to sleep in lorry parks and on verandas, etc. And they were often derided by the elite at the time as veranda boys and girls. It is their effort which propelled and stimulated the movement towards independence. The struggle for political freedom was led by citizens who understood their role in restoring the dignity of the African people and the right of Ghanaian people to self-determination and self-rule now, as they insisted. Key word, though, here is self, the role of the individual. This underscores the importance of individual involvement, where each and every one of us plays a part in the processes that culminate in governing ourselves. The quest for independence was firmly rooted in the idea that we should be actively engaged and take ownership of our own governance, control our own destiny, 
Here, the notion that we prefer self-government in danger to servitude in tranquility was invoked. Proudly, Ghana became the first nation in Africa to achieve independence. The 1960s marked a period of hope with the people taking charge and a fervent desire for rapid economic growth and transformation taking root. Development became the overarching goal. Regrettably, over time, political inclusion, the right to voice one's opinion, human rights, and pluralism began to erode and compromise. Opposition parties and individuals started to be viewed as obstructions to the reconstruction of the new Ghana, which we so desire. Under these pressures, governance took a troubling turn as constitutions were altered to cement regimes. And this was a phenomenon not only in Ghana, but indeed across Africa at the time. The shrinking political space and deterioration of governance combined with economic challenges stemming from external unequal terms of conditions and trade and sabotage externally from former colonial powers laid the foundation for the next phase in Ghanaian governance history, the era of soldiers. Incidentally, this was to be replicated across our continent, resulting in the lost decades of Africa. The culture of silence against democratically elected political leaders. It was during this tumultuous period that we bore witness to the surge of personalized rule military dictatorship, and the undermining of state institutions. Once again, akin to the era leading in Ghana, the mantra became, we no go sit down. This triggered the demand for popular participation, people's power, and the establishment of a democracy where citizens in the governance of our nation. In the 1990s, we embarked on a new course, witnessing the gradual introduction of reforms within our governance structure. <coughs> Numerous initiatives were launched with the aim of rejuvenating good governance in Ghana, with a strong emphasis on the return to multi-party elections, decentralization, constitutional safeguards for human rights, term limits, and the freedom of the press. This momentum continues